0: Service We'll continue with the sermon. The sermon is based on our New Testament reading from Romans chapter three. That's verses 19 to 28. If you're following along at home. If you're here, you can follow along in your worship folder. and we'll begin with this prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I'm not enough. I have failed. I will never meet those expectations. These statements follow statements like, I need a different church, or a different religious path altogether. My parents are just too strict. I'm never going to lose these extra pounds. I'm never going to get back into shape. I'm never going to be healthy. My orientation is awkward and it's not fulfilling. I lost my job. My reputation has not recovered after just that one night, that one time, that one experience, that one post or picture or video. I don't have the skills, I don't have the natural talent, the time, the ability, the energy, the youth to get that degree or to have that family that it seems like everybody else around me has and is enjoying. We all feel the weight of accountability, of accountability to expectations that go far beyond what we can achieve. Failure, though, is not just unique to me or to you. A man named Jeremiah was very familiar with failure. Jeremiah was a man who lived 2,600 years ago. He's familiar with failure because a 100 years, roughly, before he began to serve as a prophet of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel had failed God. God's own people had failed him, turned away from him, and so God allowed them to be overtaken by the nation of Assyria. Now fast forward back to the time of Jeremiah. The Assyrians had enjoyed being a dominant world power for many years, but the Egyptians on the eastern or the western side had fought against them and were pushing them back, driving them to a sharp decline. And Judah was in the middle, and to the east there were the Babylonians who were also attacking the Assyrians, pushing them back, forcing this sharp decline. So they were no longer the world power. Instead, those Babylonians to the east of Judah, they were now the world power. Jeremiah was called to the southern kingdom of Judah to be a prophet to them, to speak the words of God to the people, to make known God's plans for their future. And the message that Jeremiah was called to bring to Judah was, you failed. We failed. In our Old Testament reading from Jeremiah 31, we hear this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. The old covenant hadn't worked. I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel right to the north. They'd been gone for about a hundred years. And with the people of Judah, people on the brink waiting for this destruction God had promised, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. God had made the people of Israel a free nation. He had taken them from their enslavement in Egypt, fought against the Egyptian army, And he had brought them finally to a promised land, drove out the people that lived there, and allowed Israel to live there. And then he preserved them as a people for hundreds of years. Whether it was a world power that came against them or a smaller nation, God fought for Israel and allowed them to remain a sovereign nation. All God had asked of them in his old covenant was that they be faithful to him. Like a wife would be faithful to a husband, like the faithfulness between husband and wife. Trust in me. Love me. Trust that I will take care of you. But they didn't. They failed to trust. Not to work at something, but to simply trust that God would be with them. And so God pronounces this judgment. The Babylonian Empire will come in and he will destroy Judah. Your very nation will be destroyed. Many of you will be carried off into exile as punishment. But by God's grace, Jeremiah's message to them did not end there. There would be a time of punishment, but he made a promise. There will be this new covenant. This is my new covenant, my new promise. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This promise to forgive sin. Which sin is failure to hold up to our accountability to God. Sin is our failure before God. God says, I promise to forgive that. And that promise remains true today. The fear of failure, it surrounds us, it's all through our society, but it's also inside of us. And to fight against that fear, we ourselves and we see many people working to be better at different aspects of their life. You can probably figure out what those different areas are, you probably work at them yourself. Or instead of focusing on lots of different areas, people get really focused on being the best at one thing in their life. Health, money, relationships, something like that. To combat this fear of failure. Or they have this, right, I'll just get an accountability partner. That'll do it. Somebody to keep me on track. Or to combat this fear, some just embrace failure, and then they live a life of cynicism, and sarcasm, and apathy, they pretend that nothing else matters, thinking it will guard their hearts and then they won't actually be afraid, which is a lie. To combat this fear, some also will escape for alcohol or drugs, other substances, even through various forms of entertainment and fantasy worlds and escaping reality. We fear failure, so we work hard to not fail. That fear of failure is addressed in our New Testament reading from Romans 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The whole world, he says, is accountable to God's law, to God's standard of what a good life and what being a good person is. The whole world is accountable to this. God wrote His law down in Scripture that it would be shared, that it would be public knowledge. But even for those who don't hear that message, God also wrote it in every single human heart. He simply calls it the conscience. God gave all of us a conscience, that knowledge of what is right and wrong. We follow it sometimes, we often even go against our own conscience. That's because of sin. And so this means nobody nobody has any excuse. All are under God's law. We have it clearly printed for us in Scripture, and it's on every single one of our hearts. So there is no excuse for not knowing God's law and seeing that it is good. And again, Romans makes it clear this law was not given so that we see it and we go, Ah, I can do all of these things. I can achieve all this and I can wait for that, Hey, great job from the big old accountability partner up in heaven. Nope. That's not why he gave us his law. It was given to expose our failure. It was written so that we could look at it as if looking in a mirror and see that we have not kept his law in all points, at many times, which is why we have fear, which is why we have the fear of failure in all aspects of our lives, that deep-seated fear that we really don't like to talk about, but God must expose. It fills our hearts with fear, because we fear we're going to miss out on something good. Fear of failure means I, I feel like I'm going to miss out on a reward Fear of failure recognizes there must be some kind of punishment then because I have done wrong. When you wrong God, it's death and hell. These are the results, these are the punishments. Now, Today we celebrate the Lutheran Reformation. There's a man named Martin Luther who understood failure like Jeremiah, who understood failure like you and I. He understood that he was accountable to God's expectations written in his law, and he understood that he had failed them. He was a sinner, and he had worked tirelessly to try to find some way to reconcile the fact that he knew heaven was a good place, and he wanted to go there, and he knew that God was good, but he was not good. He didn't understand how he could get on the same page with God and avoid death and hell. He'd worked at lots of different things, searched lots of things, talked to lots of different people, and nothing worked until finally he discovered, or really rediscovered, the truth. He rediscovered the end of his fear by reading his Bible. The Bible showed him the end of the fear of failure, the end of fear of God, is what is called righteousness. Righteousness simply means being right. It's a lot of rightness. So I know we don't use that term much, but it simply means to be right or good. To be good according to what God calls good. So you think of it like this. If you want to lose five pounds in a month, right? You want to do that and you're serious about that, so you get an accountability partner. Well, at the end of the month, if you have lost those five pounds, you're pumped. You can't wait to go to that accountability partner and say, I did it. Right? And there's high fives or fist pumps or I don't know, whatever secret, you know, handshake you've got going. But you've done it. So you were right. You did good. There was no fear in that accountability because you achieved it. This is what we need before God to feel like we are right, to be good. And then even though we're accountable to God, it's fine because he says you've done it. And so God gave us His law to show us that expectation of righteousness and that we cannot achieve it so that we would stop looking at ourselves to continually be disappointed, stop looking at ourselves and fooling ourselves that we are good enough for God. He gave us His law to face us with reality that we are sinful. We have failed God, and so then we need righteousness. We need a Savior. We need righteousness from somewhere else. It can't can't be something that we get for ourselves. So Luther discovered that the righteousness that we needed was a gift. It was a gift from God. By reading the Bible... He saw for himself that it is God's own righteousness that he gives to us. And so it is the highest level of righteousness. It is a perfect righteousness, a perfect kind of love. It is a love, a life that only does what is good, and God has given that to us. When he discovered that in Scripture, then he came up with a a theme, a five-pointed theme for what God has done to us. You may have heard it as the five solas. That's the Latin because that was a big deal at his time. Sola, you can think of being alone. So today, instead of using the Latin, we're going to use the English. So Luther discovered this truth of God giving us his righteousness, taking away our fear in these five truths, that it is through faith alone, scripture alone, grace alone, Christ alone and to God's glory alone. And again, Luther discovered that in the Bible. He discovered it in the book of Romans, which we read from today. And we'll see now that those five truths are in Romans chapter 3. First, starting at verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. So the Law and the Prophets, this refers to Scripture, thus Scripture alone. So the Law and the Prophets are the Old Testament. Like Jeremiah, Old Testament, prophet, talked about God's forgiveness. Right? There's this promise that apart from keeping the Law, you can become good with God. It's through His forgiveness. This is that promise that God made through Jeremiah. It's Law and the Prophets, okay, or Scripture goes on this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe so faith and Christ it is faith that connects us to Christ he goes on there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God so he takes away anything anything that you would define yourself by your history your people it doesn't matter you're a human being, so you're sinful. All have sinned and fall short of the, glo- of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And now God's grace alone. God's grace is His love for us when we had failed Him. It's His love for us when we didn't even recognize He was God. Or if we had heard about Him, we just didn't even care. And we didn't love Him. And we didn't love the other people that He had created in the world. And yet He still loved us. It's His love that saved us. That's His grace. And then this is all to God's glory. That He would save undeserving people. People that are lost. Because He cares so much for you. this is, again, the new covenant, as Jeremiah said, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Luther got these five points because it is what Scripture says. Not because he thought them up and imposed them on Scripture, but they were a result of deep study of Scripture. And he was able to summarize it in that wonderful, clear way that we get to share with one another. And those truths will stand forever. And those truths are true for you. They will stand forever, and they are true for you because of what has already been done for you by God, by Jesus. As we hear in Romans 3, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this, God did this, to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, waiting to punish Christ for those sins. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in him. Your fear of failure, your fear of punishment by God has been removed, it's gone, taken care of through Jesus. Jesus sacrificed himself dying on the cross, experiencing your hell on the cross to save you and free you. His sacrifice is called one of atonement because he took God's anger at you away, his disappointment away. Atonement now simply means you are at one. If you look at the word, you can see at one. Being atoned for means you have harmony with God. You were separated, but now you're at one with God of peace and harmony, a a good relationship with him. Through Jesus' sacrifice, the shedding of his blood. So, God is just, as he says, and the one who justifies. He is just because he continues to take sin seriously, so serious that he made the payment for you with the blood of his own Son. Not yours, not your death, not your suffering, not your work, but Jesus' work. And so he is just. He called sin bad and he punished it. And now he looks at you as good, and so he has a reward for you because of the righteousness given to you, because of Jesus' perfect life. And so he is the one who justifies you. In other words, he makes a statement about who you are now through Jesus. He says you are righteous. You are not guilty you are good, you are worthy, you have met all of the expectations, and you are acceptable to him as his own people. Fear ends with God's word. This message of Jesus' forgiveness, the message we often call the gospel. Each day you are presented with new reasons to fear that you have failed God, that you have sinned. Each day You hear a new strategy, though, to be better or to explain your way out of sin or to rationalize sin. Every day you get those things, both those things. You are surrounded on the outside and on the inside. Your thoughts will accuse you of things that you've done, remind you of things that you've done in the past. From the outside, people will defend your sinful actions. Don't listen. Do not listen to that outside. Do not listen even to your own inside because it is sinful and corrupt. Instead, you are to go to Jesus, to God himself, to the truth, as we hear in our gospel reading from John 8. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. That term disciple gets used and thrown around a lot it means that you hold to what Jesus teaches. Oftentimes, perhaps, you get too involved in thinking it's, it's a way of life. At the heart of a disciple is love for Jesus. His greatest teaching is that you have been forgiven for your sins. Now, does that result in you loving God and loving your neighbor? Yes, it does. But Jesus says that the heart of being his disciple is, is his teachings. He says, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So freedom from God's punishment, freedom from this constant working to achieve these expectations that go beyond what you can do, all of that freedom from the guilt and the tiredness is Jesus. It is the gospel. The truth is, as Jesus said, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So then, here's the wonderful truth. The only opinion about who you are, the only opinion that matters is God's. Period. People that come at you in your life, those who come at you in your life that are not from God, that do not speak the truth, that tell you that you are good enough or you can achieve these things on your own and you don't have to worry about God they lie to you those who tell you otherwise are not your friends spiritually these are not your friends instead those people in your life who are honest with you who speak the truth who care about Jesus teachings who are going to be honest about exposing your sinfulness and also honest about Jesus gift of righteousness his sacrifice to forgive you for your sins those people in your life that tell you that are from God they share with you the message from God and they truly love you and they want to encourage you to give thanks that you have a place in heaven that is guaranteed because of what God has done for you we all feel that weight of accountability to expectations that we cannot meet. Help the people around you, whether they know of Jesus or not, help the people around you, those who are afraid and working tirelessly, turn their eyes to Jesus and give their souls rest. And you keep your eyes on Jesus. Give your own soul rest in His wonderful gift of righteousness. That fear of accountability to God ends in Jesus. In Jesus, you have righteousness, you have forgiveness, and you have his unending love. Amen. Hi, my name is Gunnar Lederman, the pastor at Divine Peace Church Rockwall in Texas. Thanks for watching the sermon. If you'd like to watch more, please follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Divine Peace Church Rockwall. Thanks and God bless.